Blog Talk Radio. Every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA. We give our side, cause that's all we know. This is a labor of love, that's why we do this show. From the murder mitten to the sunshine state, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Welcome, welcome, and welcome again. And there he is. You're in the building now, Q. Welcome to another episode of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And we're here on Thursday, December the 15th, 2016. Bring you another action-packed episode of Sports Q&A. Let me tell you how you can get in contact with us, follow us on Twitter. Right. Sports. Right, I, I got it. I got it. Thanks. Uh, follow us on Twitter, sport underscore QA, also sport underscore QA underscore preps. Follow us on Instagram, sports underscore QA. Follow us on Facebook, the Facebook page, sports Q&A, the Facebook fan page, sports Q&A, and the Facebook account, low, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington. Make sure you go to our website www.sportsqanda.com That's www.sportsqanda.com And last but not least, give us a call at 760-539-3269 That is 760-539-3269 Did I get it right? Yes, you did Okay, thank you, I appreciate it Well, uh I'll start with the melancholy with the down first. Uh, a sad day in sports. Not an athlete, but I think had an impact on more uh, sports than some athletes. Uh, Craig Sager, longtime uh, color commentator, sideline reporter from uh, Turner Sports, uh, succumbed to leukemia today. Uh, known for his bright color, his his coordination. Um, a sad day, 
especially after seeing him bouncing back after the first one, be on the sidelines for a little while. Um, just a tough pill to swallow when you come to look at that. I mean, people have said it before. I mean, I've seen it all year, even from the beginning of the year. 2016 was a tough year. I would right. say, uh, profession. I mean, in the world of celebrities, sports, it was just a tough year. Uh, and then added on to that, uh, to me personally, actually, both of us fraternity brothers, uh, two prominent members of the Detroit alumni chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, uh, David Ashley, former principal, passed away, and Robert Hood, Robbo, uh, 50-year brother, passed away. Uh, both passed away uh, this week. Uh, so it's just a, a, a lot. Uh, makes you, you know, value the time that you have. Be, th- uh, be thankful, truly thankful for the things you have, and uh, you know, stay close to the, the, the whatever your higher power is, because you never know the day and time. Uh, yeah, um, jumping back into the entertainment world, another prominent actor that we grew up with, Alan Thicke. Uh, most of the youngest may know him as the father of Robin Thicke, the singer. But this was Growing Pains, just one of the, the TV dads that many of us grew up with. Uh, then you find out as you got as we got older, he was the the pen in the, the musical machine behind a lot of theme songs, going, ranging from different strokes, facts of life, uh, a couple others. So it was just one of those things where you you really never understand the impact of someone until it's unfortunate situation like this. And what makes this cra- his passing crazier? He had just finished playing hockey with one of his sons and sent out a tweet. I mean, we later found out he was cracking jokes as he waited for the ambulance to take him to the hospital. Made someone take a selfie of him and all this stuff. So it's like you never know. And I guess that's why we're in December, but that's why November is so key with men's health, uh, no shave November and everything like that. We really have to just do better. And I'm truthfully talking to myself because I've been horribly slack on it. I think it's that youthful look within me thinks that I'm uh I don't have to worry about it but I have to I have to do a lot better. And I, I, I challenge you to take, uh keep me on task with that. Um going to the doctor for the first time in a long time. Because I'm one of those guys if I don't feel a certain way then I'm not stressed. Even if I do feel a certain way, I, I push through. And I know as I get older and knock on that door of 40, that's not something I can kind of put. That, that's not, nothing I can play with. So just really one last thing. Everyone out there, but men specifically, black men, definitely take care of your health. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Hold each, hold each other accountable. I mean, uh, it's all right, you know, it's it's tough enough living out here without with the outside influences that could could, could uh, harm your health, and you don't want to do it to yourself. I mean, I had the episode a couple of weeks ago when I had to take almost a week off work, dealing with some some stress levels and blood pressure and stuff out of order. Still trying to work to get that in order. Uh, you know, because I got people that's looking up for me. I got people that's dependent on me. So um, right. even if you don't, be dependent on yourself. 
so, you know, make sure that you, you know, do what you need to do. And we all, you know, think we can tough through it. And I, my ability or my willingness to, uh, to, to tough through it, uh, has a uh, diet down. Cause I used to wait until I couldn't function anymore before going to the doctor. And now, and it, now I'm almost uh, self-diagnosing myself, which is good. Right. I mean, I'm about knowing what's normal and what's not, uh, so I mean, just just take care of yourself, men and women. But you know, men we have a tendency not to uh, as much. Uh, so with that public service announcement, we're gonna go into breaking news for it. This is not on the, on the slate for the day, but breaking news. We knew it was coming today. Uh, I would say it was probably around eight forty-five or so. The number one, number four wide receiver, five star. Uh, Third wide receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones made his decision to uh, on where he's going to play college football. It was between Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Florida, and Florida State. Uh, with no surprise to most as it was leaning towards he will be playing at the University of Michigan. Um, I'm going to be 100% honest. Uh, playing high school football and covering high school, watching high school football, you know, since 1990, 91, I'm going to put this on record, and I know my keen folks may be upset about this, but Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones was the best high school wide receiver I've ever seen in my life. From a freshman on, I'm talking about able to, I was able to see his career at least one game Every season of his career, um, and this guy was like a freak of nature. Uh, freshman year, first time I saw him was in the city championship against King, and as a freshman, he scored two touchdowns. No, one touchdown. Maybe, and I know, you know what, and I said this, and, and, and me and Bree Hunt, uh, Brandon Hunter, B. Hunt, we were – we had said we were going to go back and look at it, and I never did. I want to say, in my recollection, recollection, he scored two touchdowns in each city championship the last four years in Ford Field. Huh. I mean, as a freshman, you see him like, man, who was that? Who scored that? Like, cause the focus was really uh, cast at that time was running backs. And then as a sophomore, uh-huh. like, remember that name. And then as a junior, he was known. The junior year, he – Made that big jump when he went to, uh, went to the uh, what is the thing called in uh, for Nike thing? Uh, the opening. Yeah, the opening where he had a freak of nature, the the the, the high jump, and everything, his speed, everything, and that kind of put him on the map. And the thing is, and I'm gonna say, so uh, my people may get me, but Donnie was second best wide receiver I saw. He was the best. That was the best catch I ever saw in high school football when he caught the winning touchdown for uh, state championship. Um, but it was just a freaking nature. I mean, he had the size. You know, he he has the size of in the body of an NFL wide receiver right now. Um, so it's just interesting, and that speed is just ridiculous. I, I you know during his his uh, leading up to his announcement, they uh, were showing his highlights, and I knew they were going to show his highlights. Just number one because they could to rub it in, but uh, the game against King, uh, Atkins, 
uh, early in the season when he caught like a 82, 83-yard touchdown and just ran through the defense untouched, just blazing speed. Um, Michigan's getting uh, – I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the wide receivers that they have, uh, solid wide receivers, you know, but this is something special. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. He's, he's early in role. Scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to say. The, the scary thing is he's he's heading up to campus in January, so not only does he get an opportunity to get acclimated with college life, he gets to hop into that playbook, get in that weight room, and get into the, the whole regimen of being a college receiver for basically a, uh, some game. That's two semesters, essentially. So you have right. fall, you have the winter semester, and then you have spring. Most freshmen don't get up there till I, well August, early August, and there. I mean, you have some guys that are able to kind of catch on and be productive. We saw that this year with uh, Kakor Crawford, um, Eddie McDoom, but those guys were still limited in the packages that they were able to be used. Whereas a guy like People's Jones can get up there and be ready. We saw the, the early enrollees that really stood out this year. Uh, Devin Bush uh, really helped. Uh, shoot, true academically with uh, um, Kareem Walker. I think if he doesn't enroll, he may not have been able to stay on campus. So mm-hmm. I think him being able to get acclimated as a student helped him so much. So it, it, it's just crazy. And the, the scary thing about it is, this was the second wide receiver commit this week. Um, yep. Four-star, uh, top third, top 15 receiver Tariq Black from Connecticut committed yesterday. So that gives them two already in this class. Then you have a guy of the caliber, Brad Hawkins, who committed in the 20, who was a part of the 2016 class, but went to a prep school out east. He's coming back into the fold. So now you have a guy that had, that's a little bit more seasoned than traditional freshman uh, recruits. He has an extra year, but he still to hone his talents, get academically in tune. Now he has four years left. And they're still in on another top receiver, Nico Collins of Alabama. Now this guy, they're saying it's a cherry on top. Um and I think what really stands out about these four wide receivers that they, they potentially will be bringing in is, yeah, they're over 6'3". They're 6'2", and above 6'3", 6'4", 
All right. So we're here. I think I'm back. Let's see if I can get Q in on this business again. Mid-sentence. I don't know what happened. I think that was a Skype issue. Q. Q. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think that was a Skype issue. I don't know uh, what was going on with that. Uh, But, yeah, so... You know, so you I mean you're talking about the depth that they're getting at wide receiver, which I mean to hello? be honest. Hello, can you hear me, Q? I can hear you. Hello. Hello, I hear you. Hello, Q. Q. And we, Houston, we have another problem. Let's try this. Hello. Will Rogers, we have a problem. So Q's still out. I think I don't know what's going on with my with this this piece of uh technology. But uh like I was saying, I think they're building the depth that will allow them to uh compete on a national level. And once again, the, the scary part of, about this is that this is really Harbaugh's only second forward uh you know, it is his only second uh, full recruiting class where he only had opportunity to recruit a few, a few guys, and maybe still a few guys uh, during the beginning as the coach. Q. Yes, Hello? sir. Can you hear me? Can yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I heard you last time. I don't know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you yeah. now. Okay, good. So back to, you know, what you were saying about some of the recruits. Oh, but, yeah, um, so Michigan essentially is in for a, a big transition, that wide receiver. They're losing two of their two very good guys in Amara Darbo and um, – J.U. Chesson, but I think that position, it may take some, some time to get used to it, to these guys being the focal point, but I think, and I'm, I'm saying this right now, they're going to have the wide receiver position going to be about, excuse me, a lot better next year than it was this year. But the simple fact that these guys, and people Jones shows this in his highlights, he's a he, these guys create opportunities for for quarterbacks. Other than maybe that that BYU catch last year for Darbo, how many times have you seen the wide receivers out jump a guy, out body a guy, put themselves in a position to catch the ball for the Michigan quarterback? It's like if the quarterback didn't put it there, they weren't going up to get it. They weren't out jumping a guy to, to put themselves in position. And I look at that Wisconsin-Penn State Big Ten Championship game. That's exactly what Penn State receivers were doing. Uh, I told you about this uh, shortly. He was just throwing it up and allowing these guys to make plays, and they did it, whereas Michigan receivers didn't do it enough, and I think that may have hurt. And, and definitely in the Iowa game where uh, Chesney got the ball taken from him that was intercepted, 
definitely against uh, Ohio State. And it's just hopefully these new guys, these new receivers, will change that perception. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, uh, wide receiver in Michigan traditionally has been known as uh, a dominant position with a clear number one receiver with some good supplementary. And, and it, I mean, over the years, I mean, you deal with the change in offense and other things like that. It affects the type of receivers that you get, you know. So, I mean. I mean, but think about it. Going back to even with Rich Rod. Jeremy Gallon was a high ball catcher. I mean, it just sucked that he was only 5'8". I guarantee if Jeremy Gallon was 6'1", he would be in the NFL not tearing it up because he had the ball skills and he had – he may not have been the fastest guy, but he had football quickness that allowed him to get into places that most receivers couldn't. I think he just couldn't overcome only being 5'8 and not being much more than – you mean it's hard highballing the ball, uh, telling your having a five eight guy be your jump ball catcher when you have six one six two DBs. Yeah, and like you said, the, the high volume, it's size as well as uh, you know ball catching, and even if you had, I mean, we didn't even have really that yak wide receiver. I mean, we had, I mean, in all this this year. Our wide receivers have been lackluster compared to where they were in years past. Um, right. And this is the best quarterback that we've had in the last, I mean, full season wise in the last few years. Not doing it, not not knocking Rudock down, but Rudock was horrible his first couple games. He evolved uh-huh. to being a now NFL roster player. Um, but, um, you know, it's. Building in the right position. I mean, you look at Michigan's roster and look at the guys that were recruited in a good recruiting class last year. How many of those guys actually saw the field? So, a the lot. Thing, right. And then you look at the other pieces, like some of the guys who you didn't see the field are going to come back monsters after being on that weight program and workout program for a full year. It, it, I mean, in two years, it's going to go right back to how it used to be where you get these four four and five I can't believe they just did that and he threw that, sorry four and five year uh, guys where offensive linemen some linebackers don't see the field to their red shirt sophomore or, or junior because that right. is it um where you the drop off between, uh, you know, the a, a four a five year or four or five year senior and uh, the new guy that is there, which is not which helps you because you don't have to play the freshman unless it's a special freshman. Special freshmen are gonna play. Like Gary, Gary was gonna play. There was no way you were gonna hold him off the field because he's he's a man, <laughs> as like Gundy was. And, and and I think that's the thing. Every class, if you say you bring in a class of twenty to, I say twenty five, if you can get five or seven of those guys to be, oh man, we couldn't keep him off the field. That helps, and, and it doesn't. It doesn't matter what position, um, whether it's, even if it's even with a, a special team player, 
this guy showed so much that we had to find a way to get him on the field. And I think that's what ended up happening with Devin Bush. Towards the end of the year, we saw him more and more. And I think he's going to be a guy with the transitioning of Ben Gaddian. McCray will be back. But he, he's going to be a guy that's going to step up. And then you have a guy like Khalid Hudson or Josh Medalist that can step into that Viper role. What's key for Michigan is this is the second year in Don Brown's defense. And I think that's going to play dividends. That's and that's with any sport. You get continuity. You get turn players at certain positions. Quarterback being one, it allows you to to build on things. And I think that's one thing that worried me so much about Michigan in the past. You had a, a turnstile at the position. I mean, look at some of these other programs that struggle. Oregon, uh, LSU, Florida. Um, you would think these teams shouldn't have the problems they do. But not only are they not able to get – they're struggling to recruit guys. They're pulling people – I mean, who would have thought that Purdue, as bad as they've been recently, would have two guys, two former quarterbacks starting in the SEC? That's unheard of. And these guys weren't like – it weren't like these guys were playing well at Purdue. So it, it just shows how bad the quarterback situation is at LSU and definitely at Florida – where they had no other option. So Michigan finds continuity there, um, even with Michigan State. Now you have a guy in Brian Lewerke that he may not have started the whole season. Now he's coming in. This is a guy that you feel, you probably feel that D'Antonio trusts. Now I can, oh, let's be, I don't have to worry about quarterback, so to speak. I can build some, I can build continuity here. I can find some pieces here. Um, and see where I can build from my program. But if you're every year, I'm shocked it, it's been working out so well for Alabama. Because think about it, the last couple of years, they've shuffled in quarterbacks. I think with them, their defense is just so dominant that they they cover up for, for their misgivings on that side of a quarterback long enough for them to find their footing. And that's what Jacob Coker did. That's what uh, – they got ahead of themselves. They they found a gem in Jalen Hurts this year because I think if they if he doesn't step up, they're in trouble. But he he played any he played unlike a freshman, and I'm still waiting to see. Now maybe Washington provides that game. Definitely, I think it'll be Clemson um, if they make it to the uh, to the, the championship game. But I still have yet to see Alabama get tested by a team that has a good defense but also has a good enough offense to to do some things. Yeah, you may not be able to put up 30 against that defense, but if you can run the ball, if you can get a couple of plays with uh, Ross at wide receiver for Washington or one of the trio receivers at uh, Clemson, that's going to be dangerous. And, I mean, the, the experience at quarterback, again, look at uh, Clemson. They're right there because of what? Ohio State is right there because of what? Their quarterback plays. Even though JT Barrett has been suspect, it's still he's better than uh, the backup. He's better than bringing in a, a new guy. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens with the Buckeyes when Curtis Sam, if Curtis Samuel decides to go pro this year. That's going to change that whole offense. 
because right. that guy was special. I don't care. I hate Ohio State, but real recognize real. What he did this year for them was just as valuable as what Carlos Hyde did a couple of years back and definitely what uh, Ezekiel Elliott did. Now, I'm not calling him the same type of player, though, or he was a great running back, but his ability to be that wide receiver when they had none paid huge dividends. Him getting that, finding those tough yards, him being able to be that guy to, to get that, that, that key five or six yard play when they needed it, he was he was that MVP. So it was crazy to see uh, JT Barrett get the player that shared the player of the year award when he wasn't even the best player in Ohio State's offense. <laughs> right. But, you know, it, that's kind of name recognition right there. I mean, but, yeah, we saw that with Michigan. Everybody hated the real Peppers being a, a Heisman finalist, hated him making all these uh, winning these awards, being on the All-American team. I mean, it is what it is. You have guys that people are privy to their opinion. I think defensively, when you look at it, he wasn't a, a great linebacker, but he was a football player. And I think that's where people, so many people value that because we don't see that now. We don't see a guy. He was the consummate jack of all trades. He just didn't master enough for some people. But it is definitely going to be interesting to see what he does on the next level, him and Adore. Because I think Adore, actually, Adore Jackson, the cornerback out of USC, actually did it better than him. But nobody, he didn't have the, the hype machine like Jim Harbaugh to push him to the forefront. I guarantee if uh, Sarkeesian is still there, if Pete Carroll is still in uh, USC, Dory Jackson is in New York. Right. I mean, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, uh, and, and I like the interesting that we're talking about now. Instead of interesting, we're gonna talk about after this break of all this other shenanigans going on in college football in in Minnesota, as well as uh, Wake Forest, Forest, Louisville, right? The ACC, basically. Yeah. So we're going to go to a break and we'll be right back to talk about college football, but not really college football. This half hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to the second half. Uh, not the second half hour. We're past the second half of the first hour. <laughs> hey, there we go. Uh, sports Q and A. Give us a call. Seven six zero five three nine thirty two sixty nine. Seven six zero five three nine thirty two sixty nine. Oh, we're here talking about college football right now. Uh, well, we went from talking recruiting and on the field and the progression of teams to. Uh, the regression of people and their actions. And let's talk about a level of uh, regression, or I don't even know how to describe this, because this is coming from uh, uh, a former player, an alumnus, a former coach, and then a color commentary guy, all in the same, uh, at the same university, yet, I think this has to be outside of something along the lines of Sandusky, the biggest betrayal somebody can do. 
and I, and and it's it's it's, it's 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 morally wrong and ethically wrong, but I don't even know if it's illegal. Uh, that's the ironic thing. Yeah, I don't right? think it. I mean, it may not be illegal, but it just definitely violates the code of ethics within sports. So, I mean, for some people, it's worse than breaking the law. So basically, if you haven't heard, Tommy Elrod, uh, who up until this year had been a part of the, the coaching staff when the coaching change occurred, he didn't get retained, but he did get a job. A plus job being a color guy um, for the university. With that, he the privileges of getting all the game plans and everything else, so he can prepare and be as uh, colorful as he needs to be as a color court, uh, the uh, as a color guy. Um, but with that, it must have been some bitterness. It must have been some. Uh, some hate in his heart. He was the president of the Players Haters Club because right. he decided to give the game plans to the opponents. And so far, being confirmed, it was Louisville. It was uh, who were the three teams? One of them was like really surprising. Um, it was Louisville coach I mean, the Louisville team. It'll come, the other two will come to me, but Q, have you, I mean, have you ever heard of something like this? And what would be the equivalent in a, maybe in another sport, ouch, in another sport, or in just in general in life of the portrayal that he has done to his his university, the his everything. I mean, that dude needs not to set foot again in, in North Carolina ever again. Yeah, I can't even think of a, of an equivalent. Now, I mean, I've seen some indiscretions carried out by a team that are bad and maybe uh, resting that same bad level, but what he did as far as turning his back on the program and the school that he worked for, I mean, it's just sure that you have in somebody maybe a recruiting scandal and you turn it informant and you – something like that, but we have never even heard anything like that. It's, this is just ridiculous, and for as bad as that was, the the the, imp, the implication of Louisville takes it to a new level considering who the coach is, Bobby Petrino and his past indiscretions, and the fact that months ago somebody, because this has been an ongoing investigation, Someone asked him about it, and they said he didn't know. But <laughs> now it's coming out that the team had – they received the information. They just didn't use the information. So mm. how did you not know about it if you – you must have knew about it to disregard using the stuff. And, oh, he, But their excuse is, oh, it was some of the stuff that, that was in the information. We already knew about it. We schemed for – we previously prepared for, so it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Sure. Okay. I don't, I'm not buying it. Like I said, coming from Petrino, who hasn't been on the up and up as a coach on the, the collegiate level and definitely not on the, the the professional level when it comes to having upstanding morals, dude, this is not a good look. And, and I don't think 
this is a situation, and I got to ask you this: Is this a situation where, if it happened this year, does this call into question that? Because that game actually this year was kind of close for a half, and then mm-hmm. they eventually kind of they they got some some breathing room, and Lamar Jackson and the rest of the players cruised onto a victory. What I mean, does this call into question his Heisman? I mean, yes, yeah, only one game, but that's the integrity. I mean, we know how high and mighty the Heisman Trust want to act. I mean, look what happened with uh, Reggie Bush. But could they kind of be having some second thoughts about this, considering he was part, his school was part of a, a indiscretion like this, or will they just look at it, okay, this was above him. He was just out there doing what he did. He knew nothing about it. Well, I mean, I kind of look at it at, at a couple different ways. I mean, um, receiving information from somebody who's an insider, uh, I, the doubting time of me would think uh, that it's a plant, it's fake, and if, if you bring in new information, then it could disrupt what you're already planning for, which could throw you off and make you not prepared. The second aspect of is that it creates a competitive edge. It's not. It'll be different. It would be different, in my opinion, if the other teams requested it. Like the word got around town that this guy is giving out information, and they requested it. Then I would say, hey, well, you know, that's that's wrong because you're requesting the information and you're doing that. But if somebody gives you the information, it's kind of like uh, I use this example. And it's not even sports related, but episode of a different world when magically uh, him in college was like the number two team in the country playing against another uh, uh, school, and they were the number one. And Ryan had inside information that the, the All-American quarterback from the other team was was uh, ill and used that for his, uh, for his betting prowess so he could win the bet. I mean, that's the thing is, is that it's getting a competitive edge. I mean, is is that considered cheating? I don't think that would be considered cheating. I mean, it could be anything. My wife is cool with such and such husband, and they found out that this guy is not playing, but they're not going to announce until right before the game starts because that's they can wait until that last minute. But I know ahead of time right. I can plan for that. So to me, if I'm on the other team, that's that's that, that's not my fault. I mean, all reality, that's that's not on me. That's on them. Um, and the other thing, and though I've been thinking about this since I heard it, first of all, is the craziest thing. I know a couple of Wake graduates, and they are livid. I mean, you talking about livid? They are livid about um, livid about uh, this. And like I said, the hatred for this guy is at an all-time high. They're in disbelief. The only thing, and I've been thinking about the, what would be the only thing that would make me something like that is if that dude slept with my wife. <laughs> that would be the, about the only thing that would make me do something like this because this right here, if if he would continue to do that and it would not come out, then basically I'm going to make this guy lose his job. But uh-huh. if the whole thing, you did that. And these cats still went to a bowl, going to whatever bowl it could be. It could be the tidy, the tidy bowl. It could be the toilet bowl. For Wake is a is a plus for their program. Right. So they're already in the bowl. So I don't. I mean, could you imagine 
and this is the thing. If he did that and they made a bowl, could you imagine what he what depths he would go to going forward to disrupt yeah. the program? And, and I mean, this is, once again, and I'm going to say it this way, this is Wake Forest. This is not a football powerhouse. This isn't even a team or program that's been competitive over the last five to ten years. This has been, like you said, the the bottom drum of the ACC. This year they, they, they actually played better than they have been over the last couple of years. New coaching staff, new uh, – Release uh, outlook on football life, so to speak. So, I'm still trying to figure out what was the the end game with this. Was it maybe was he betting on these games and he was hoping that okay, with the the opposing team having these disadvantage, they they cover the over because it wasn't a spread because like they were covering the over, they were covering certain maybe prop bets that he who was a involved in something like that. I mean, like I said, this isn't if this was Florida State, if this was Miami, Clemson, I could understand someone being disgruntled and say, okay, maybe this this will cost them a ball a major ball game, this will cost them the coaches a, a job or something like this. But it's like wait for us. Who cares? I mean but you but it, but that's an outsider. If if that's your program that you went yeah. to it's everything. Like it's like I I don't want to pose it like this, but if if I grew up in a college town, and and you know we used to call the people who grew up in the college towns locals. If I grew up in mm-hmm. a college town, that program is usually everything to me. So those are like the people that end up being the boosters and end up doing a lot of things that other people aren't willing to do for a program because they they hold it in high regard. So the thing is, is that if you've been part of that program for as long as he was a part of that program, then it was everything. It was the epitome, the the, the paramount of college football for him. And for him to lose his position because the coaching came, a new coach came on, to him was like that flipping that switch, it seemed like. Like, I mean, that's the only thing way I could kind of explain. Like, this was – it was end up being the gift and the curse. Like, it was a blessing. And then once he lost it, like, he lost it. Like, I would really mm-hmm. – I really want to hear his color com- commentary statements uh, regarding the team and how critical he was when they made mistakes. Because that's, that's, a, that's a dead giveaway, too. Like, I think as bad as – Michigan uh, media, sports media can be when the announcers for the college teams announced they are nowhere near as biased as other uh, other uh, cities, other schools, other areas are as far as being critical, as far as being just, just you know so anti. Uh, the other team and pro their team. It's no way. It's, I mean, a lot of them is like listening to, uh, listening to uh, a, a couple of guys at the uh, barber shop with the volume down doing color commentary because that's how right. they live it. They are, and I'm I'm willing to believe that if somebody 
and I know somebody probably will pull up some sound bites of this guy. I guarantee you he was probably super critical. Because, and then the thing is, in the booth, they were probably relying on him a lot of information, and he was probably probably comparing the last situation, which couldn't have been good because the coach got fired, to what this situation right. You know, and he was probably, well, this is, they should have done this, and blah, blah, blah. I guarantee you he was super critical. But that's good. A, a color commentary who has that inside track that does that, he, he, he's a great color, a color man. But, uh, you know, <laughs> this is crazy, man. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, I guess no and there's probably still some more information that has yet to come out. So this is just the, the tip of the iceberg and whether it's other, how deep it goes with these other schools, um, what else he may have done, what else he may have kind of tipped off. So, I mean, it, it's definitely crazy, and we'll try to keep our ear on the situation. But we got to talk about if this is bad, that the situation that's just coming about in Minnesota is really crazy. I mean, for those who don't know, there there's a, a group of players that have – ten players that were suspended for the upcoming Holiday Bowl for the University of Minnesota. Um, in in the wake of some some sexual sexual assault charges that were brought at the beginning of the season. Now these guys um, were charged. Allegedly, the girl said that she was, I mean, for lack of better terms, gang raped. Had had been taken advantage of by multiple guys. Um, but then some information came out from what I'm reading that refuted that it, it was consensual and some other things that made it kind of iffy. So the charges were never brought. They had a restraining order, which forced the guys to be suspended for home games for a period of time, but they could still travel and play on the road. Eventually, the the uh, the restraining order was dropped. Everything seemed okay. Now, all of a sudden, these guys are being suspended now, and the, the rest of their teammates are standing up for them and saying, no, not on our watch. So the team has, in the last 24 hours, have decided that if these guys don't play, we're not going. We're not going to play. And you just sent some information, and I think you read the article, so I'm going to let you talk about it. Since then, the chancellor and some other people have come out and supported the players. So what is really going on? Who's controlling this situation in Minnesota? Yeah, the thing is, man, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of. Um back and forth, uh, a lot of people, uh, I mean, it, 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 first of all, the situation is disastrous um, because these situations never end early, whether it's, it's consensual or not. When, when things like this become public, then the, the perception, the, the court of public opinion kind of plays a part and why schools and, and uh, teams do certain things. So, uh, basically, you know, they mentioned the suspension. They kind of swept it under the rug, say, well, to be determined. Of course, then, you know, people do their thing, get to digging, talk to one person that's willing to talk, and find out that, hey, that these five may be expelled. And, you know, that, and I'll be honest, in schools on every level, the the threat of expulsion uh it, it, it sends fear into the offender or suspected offenders and 
on the college level and on the high school level, it, it also brings out the uh, the desire or, or the ability to bring out the knowledge and understand and focus on what can be done and what cannot be done. And I think this is a situation where they feel like it's almost like a double jeopardy situation. Uh, and it may be a PR move. It may be say somebody in Oregon in the university saying, "Hey, you know, this has to. These guys can't play. You know, we need to clear out. Uh, you know, make this go away." But listen, if and and I don't think he's going to get to that point. Let me preface it by this first. If it gets to the point. Of uh, if it gets to the point that the that the team boycotts the game, that's going to set a precedent that cannot be reversed because you're going to have teams joining together for things much less. I mean, this is a serious situation. These, are, I mean, at the end of the day, these guys will have lives after uh, football. These guys will uh, and have other things that they want to pursue that this situation and the innocent until proven guilty uh, can have a permanent black eye on their lives. And I don't think people really understand that. So I'm pretty sure. I'm going to give it a different perspective Mm -hmm. because honestly, I don't think it's going to have the same, it's going to create a ripple effect. I mean, think about it. Going back to when the Northwestern players threatened to form a union and unionize a couple years back, everybody thought, oh, this is going to be the thing that turns around college football. They're coming together. They're going to do this. They're going to stand as one. What happened? You still have individualized campuses, individualized players. They're like, okay, that's what's going on there. That has nothing to do with me. That has nothing to do with my situation or my circumstances is different. So what could it be that these players now realize they have enough power to influence? Possibly, but I think there's still going to be some that aren't as quick to jump on this bandwagon because we've seen the the why this and not the, the situation was going on in Wisconsin with the um, basketball player voicing his concerns. I mean, definitely how we've seen with the racial climate of this of this country, we've seen universities, we've seen fans treat these athletes like crap, for better lack of words. And mm-hmm. those were more just a serious opportunities for these guys to say, no more, we're not going to stand for this, we're not going to look in the crowd and see nooses being hanged uh, of our president of and these these improper terms being we, us being harassed because we decided to raise our fists or sit or bend on one knee, and these that, this directly impacts them. I mean, the situation happened in Nebraska. We haven't heard anything else since then, because they swept. They young players had a meeting with the mayor, and that was I mean not the mayor with the governor, and things went away. If this was if you're going to fight for, there's a lot of things they can fight for. In addition to this, but they haven't shown the, the the willingness and the toughness to say, okay, we're going to stand for something because this is enough is enough. 
Yeah, like I said, um, like I said, this thing, I mean, it, it can it can ruin a lot of these guys. I mean, Minnesota is not going to suspend all these guys, release them from their contract because they, I mean, from their from their uh, scholarship because they wouldn't be able to field people. If it was a situation where it was, hey, Michigan, this happened at Michigan, and they're gonna, all if these guys boycott, they're gonna get rid of all the team. They would be able to field the team next year, a competitive team, because you would have a lot of guys who view this as an opportunity. Hey, we're going to go here. We're going to be able to start. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But Minnesota, eh. But they need to get in front of this really quickly because this could be ugly. It could be a black eye for the university as well as for the, the conference. Um, And I just don't think – the situation needs to be resolved in, in the manner that it needs to. Due process needs to take place. Double jeopardy should not be a part of this. But I think it, it shows at least this team is a team. And I think when you yeah. boil everything down, it shows that these, team, that these guys are united. These guys are, 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 are together. Um, and I think that's a good thing. But and, it, and it's not like it's a bad thing that they're standing up for because these guys – you know, some feel their teammates feel they're falsely accused, and you know we'll find out what it'll be. And uh, but this, I mean, I mean, it's one crazy. of the star players, mm-hmm. uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., his father, former NFL cornerback Antoine Winfield, has already said, and I'm not sure how serious he is about holding true to this. If something, if there isn't change or some issues as far as up top with the president and maybe even the athletic director at Minnesota, his son would no longer play for the Golden Gophers. And he, he happens to be one of the players that is named in this situation that was suspended. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And this is not one of them cases where you could say, oh, the, they're giving preferential treatment to the star players because he is one of their best players. Yeah, So and that's – uh, a bad situation on all parts, and wondering how you know the university will handle releasing him from. I mean, that that seems like that with his dad being who his dad is. Uh, if it got ugly, you know, that would go to court to release him from uh, the releasing from his scholarship from some being falsely accused. So, I mean, it, I mean, it serves as a reminder. And once again, a lot of people feel like they Teflon dons. But you need to be very careful what you do because in today's day and age, tons of things come out. And once again, if it was consensual, it was. That was a decision between all the people that were there. But you got to be very mindful because once things come up, the, the burden of proof becomes on you. But, yeah, this is, I mean, these two things are kind of shocking. The shocking of it to me and Sally I used to see this more, but it never presented itself in this manner. It's the solidarity of teams, uh, of this team really coming together. Um, you know, you see, you may see one or two people stand out against certain things, but the solidarity of this team say, well, we're willing to do this if this guy doesn't. We, we're willing to risk playing in, you know, this bowl game, which is a big thing for seniors. I mean, Minnesota's been going to bowl games, you know, for a couple of years. You know, within the last 10 years, it's probably been about 40, 50% of the time, maybe. But 
with that being that, that's a huge thing to step away from. Huge money. I mean, you would probably. I mean, they would probably get sued by the Holiday Bowl and everything else. And that's why I know it's not going to fall down, uh, go down that way. But the thing is, is that this, to me, presents uh, the opportunity for universities to not try to do do that bully move, which they do sometimes. The threat of doing things to to try to get the result that they want uh, happens a lot. So right. I really think that this may allow or force universities to really kind of look at things for what they are and and go from there. So uh, I just hope it it, it it ends well. I hope Minnesota plays in the Holiday Bowl, uh, but I hope they play in the Holiday Bowl because uh, the situation has truly been resolved and not because a compromise has come about. But, hey, uh, they need to get something together regarding that, especially since it's coming back. But the thing is, when you have the university university officials that are 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 releasing statements that they are supporting these guys, it's crazy. And that's crazy. why I said that's where the confusion is coming in. It's like, okay, if on one hand you support their decision to do this, then whose decision was it to suspend these guys? Whose decision was it to? Excuse me. Allow these this circumstance and this situation to come back up to the surface. I'm not gonna say I support you on one hand, but still punish you on the other. Like I support you for for uh, sneaking out because it it showed me your 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 creativity and all that. But I'm still gonna punish you. No, that that don't go that way. If you gonna be hype about the dude sneaking out and being a bad kid, just suck it up. But if you're going to punish me, don't applaud him for doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. But it's, it's going to be very uh, something to keep an eye out on uh, on how the situation is handled on all parts. Uh, players basically drew their line in the sand, and they have all the chips, the bargaining chips right now. Because Minnesota yeah. can't afford to miss out on this bowl. PR nightmare. We are at the hour break. So we're about to hear from the promos and we're about to get fast and deep further into a little college football and then go into the pros and then bounce back in with the bowl predictions. So we'll be right back after this word from my sponsors. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. Uh, make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. We're a little later than we normally are, exactly. but guess what? We're here with you. Thank you very much. I practice hard all week trying to make sure that I can remember that number after all these years. <laughs> um, but we're going to stay right in college football, and we're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. The rumors came up because of the Rams' job being up after Jeff Fisher, the king of – Finally. 
We are greater than 79, than 88, sorry. Uh, got fired after embarrassing the Rams organization on multiple levels, arguing with an all-time Rams great or disrespecting an all-time Rams great, uh, being on, on, a, on a team conference call and saying that focused players from another team uh, were certain players and those players are not even on that team. Um, and just the ineptitude of their offense. I think he was getting the pass for a long time. Uh, and we actually talked about this when he got re-upped <laughs> to, uh, last right. week. Which was crazy because someone I saw someone say this, that Fisher gets re-upped, but that still doesn't prevent him from getting fired. So I don't know if it was a culmination of everything that was going on, but that is not a good look for him, the organization at all. I mean, you got three games left. You couldn't keep this guy on. So that means that they had their eye on or they have their eye on someone and they want to get ahead uh-huh. of uh, the rest of the people who are in position. Which, I mean, you can't – because in all honesty, even though that the Rams are a young team, being in L.A., is an ideal situation because you can use that LA, the location, as a as a bargaining a bargaining chip to be able to bring free agents in. Um, you're going to be getting high draft picks, so eventually your core should be developing together and evolving together. And you know you may have that surprise, and you may be the Oakland Raiders of two three years ago. I mean, two, three years down the line, if you play it right. So, you know, it's going to be interesting about who they get, but let's hard back to the hardball effect because the day that he was fired, minutes after, the rumors start flying left and right about Harbaugh going to L.A. to coach them, and he was going to be GM and everything, and they were going to throw a boatload of money at him. And most college coaches would never do this. He got out in front of that, and – deflected all the rumors and let him know exactly how he stood. Also added in a little bit about some jive turkeys, better known as (laughs) other coaches who may use negative recruiting and use that rumor to, you know, hurt Michigan and chances with players. Um, People have, you know, tried to uh, hypothesize and guess and select and pick who, which teams, which five teams he was talking about or three or five coaches he was talking about. Naturally, you know, people would think it's Ohio State. Uh, he and Saban don't get along due to the satellite camps and, and uh, Kirby and uh, Dabo. Who, is, who has used dirty dirty recruiting against Michigan in an attempt to get, uh, I believe it was Gary last year. Um, so the thing is, is that should Harbaugh have gone and, and said, I'm not, you know, on all aspects, to deflect the rumors as well as to attack. Did, did his attack on basically his haters – 
or non-Michigan, non-fans of the the program, did that help or hurt his chances of recruiting? I've learned people are going to say good or bad things about Harbaugh regardless of what he does. I mean, I'm in a a hardcore smack talk group on Facebook, and it seemed like the memes and the image, the posts about Harbaugh were coming out a mile a minute from Ohio State fans. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, are y'all that concerned with this coach? And, and, and that's my thing. It's, it's interesting that now he's the name, whereas before everybody, and I guarantee, I mean, we were kind of separated from it because we don't have a, a team in the conference. But is, I'm guessing this may have been the same. This is kind of similar how when Saban was the hot name, how maybe a lot of the teams in the SEC and definitely in the SEC West would, oh, throw his name out there and hope that it, it sticks long enough to turn a, a potential recruit the other way because it's like, dude, why are y'all so quick to get rid of him? I mean, Ohio State, is, Urban Meyer is 2-0 against him. Why should it matter? I mean, D'Antonio, if, if anything, the one program that should be concerned is Michigan State because mm-hmm. that's within your state. You have to face this guy head-to-head with a lot of talent. Um, now you're seeing on the field the, the gap is no longer there, and it may have been usurped altogether because of when you look at he's 1-1, one and one, should have been 2-0, and oh, and then this game, the game this year was wasn't as close as, it, as the final score said. So it, it's just interesting that they they really want this guy up out of Michigan, and, and he still hasn't laid the foundation that he has the potential to. I mean, we talked about it earlier, the recruiting classes. He's just now the guys that he's recruited himself. Last year was really his first full class. He came in late in 2015, so he he got maybe two months of recruiting for that and did a a great job cleaning up that class. So 2016 and definitely 2017 are his implants and his imprints as far as the program. So just imagine when he gets his guys are seniors or his guys are fifth-year seniors and you have guys three, four, four years in the program. And that, and that was the one thing everybody was hype about. He's going like, even if he was to go back to the NFL, I don't think it would be this soon because he's having too much fun. He has too much access to just the 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 spoils of college football. The he can't climb trees in the NFL to attract talent. He can't. Uh, make rap videos about attracting talent in the NFL. This guy, contrary to what so many people, so many of his uh, haters who want to act like they know him, he loves college football. Now, this isn't to say he never goes back to the NFL, but I, I give at least a at least three to five more years before he can consider it, and maybe by then. We're talking about him like we're talking about John Gruden, uh, Bill Cowher, uh, Tony Dungy. Oh, maybe the moment has passed because now you have a lot more 
hot name up and coming assistant coaches that have kind of laid the foundation. It's crazy how every year uh, John uh, Gruden is a name. Like, dude, he's not leaving the booth. Every year, oh, we should try to get Bill Cowher. He's not coming out. Brian Billick, he's not coming out. And it's like, as you have to just let that that those ships sail when it comes to this. And I think eventually that may happen with Harbaugh. And if he does, he decides to go back, it's going to be to a situation that nobody sees coming. Yeah, and kind of like Michigan. I mean, you look at the thing, Michigan, all the NFL experts said there was no chance that this guy was coming. Uh, based on even though his situation was horrible in San Francisco and everybody felt he was going to take one of those other jobs, to him this is his dream job. But to me, I think the biggest difference between an NFL job and a, pro, uh, and a college job is the freedom that you have. As long as you get along with your athletic director, which the athletic director basically in Michigan is, hey, he's hands off. This is what you want to do. All you got to do is look at those bills from the satellite camps. Uh, uh-huh. then, then, 300,000? Right. You're, you're good to go. But, you know, when you're dealing with and, general manager and all these other people and the owners and all those other things, because as long as you're competitive and, and you, you, you're you nothing but positive PR for the university, I mean, Harbaugh can stay at Michigan as long as he wants to. I mean, right. that's, just, that's just a fact. And, and I think that that's the one thing that kind of intimidates or, or, or scares uh, other uh, other teams, especially Ohio State. I mean, this is the thing that people don't understand. Even back when it was John Cooper had Ohio State, there were very few years where both of those teams were juggernauts. The times when we beat Ohio State when they were ranked number one, we were were three, four lost teams. And it was the rivalry uh-huh. that, that, that fueled us to those victories. But, you know, what was that, 2006, the 1-2 game? This this uh-huh. year, the 2-3 two, the two, game? This is what the what really makes the rivalry the rivalry that people hold it in high regard. Not when one team is up, the other team is down. These are the things because these teams these teams are historically national powers. And Ohio State, much more recently for a longer period of time, Michigan is as we know is on up and coming on the rising. So the thing is is this is what's great for all parties involved. It's not great for Ohio State because they know that they're not gonna be able to dominate as much as they as they have. Uh under Trevor. You know, it, it kind of goes and flows only in, in the decades. You know, pr- prior to that, Coop, Coop couldn't win nothing, you know. So the thing is that it, it kind of goes in cycles. And Urban kind of picked off where Trestle left off and is in that same vein. But now he has, has a bitter rival in every sense of, the, uh, sense, uh, sense of the word. And now it's a true rivalry. And these teams are getting yeah, better. And the interesting thing for Trestle is going to be this next group of quarterbacks because he struck gold walking into a situation that had uh, Braxton Miller, JT Baird, and Cardell Jones. 
Jones, not so much because he, he didn't fit the traditional mindset of what we think of mm-hmm. as an Urban Meyer quarterback. It just worked out. He just, that was hitting the lottery right there. Whereas mm-hmm. if after Barry graduates, it's going to be interesting to see can he keep that that level of quarterback that he needs because, I mean, they're hyped up over this guy, incoming freshman, Tate Martell. Uh, I think he threw 40 touchdowns, one interception this year. Bishop Gorman High School in Nevada plays top-level competition in the country. So he's a great player, but the difference is, unlike Barrett, who's 6'2", 6'3", unlike Cardo Jones is 6'5", Tate Martell is listed at 5'10". So that means he's really shorter than that. So how is that going to really work for Ohio State? Is Joe? I don't think Joe Burrows, who's the backup right now, is that typical Urban Meyer quarterback. He's more of a drop back, has some elusiveness if need be, but he's not a guy that can create with his feet. So, and, and that's where Ohio State has kind of made his hay, and that's why I was worried about uh, Ezekiel Elliott going to the NFL because too many teams, him being Ohio State, he had the benefit of teams having a game plan for a mobile quarterback. And lucky enough, he goes into a situation, yes, they're not the read option, but Dak Prescott is a mobile enough quarterback where teams still have to kind of keep their eye, and they've added some glimpse, some, some pieces of the read option, and it's like these two are in the perfect situation. But let's see next year how, I mean, Mike Weber had a, great, a very good season, but it wasn't Ezekiel Elliott. It wasn't uh, um, Carlos Hyde. It wasn't even Beanie Wells great. So if he's only getting you 800 to 1,000 yards and there's no other back that's carrying that share, how is this Ohio State offense looked at now? Right. But, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting. But with the whole hardball to the NFL, it's just funny how you see teams want this guy. The NFL still wants him. They still, NFL, NFL is still hoping that he can, they can get him back. I mean, like I said, it, it probably will be maybe four to five, four to seven years from now when he's done what he had to do in Michigan. But who who is up? Who's next? I mean, some people mentioned Josh McDaniels and uh out in New England. But is that the is that the guy and we've seen his struggles in Denver. We've seen the struggles from the uh Bill Belichick tree. Not too many guys leave New England and find success. So is it a guy that we know of or is this another guy that's gonna kind of pop up because Atlanta has an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator that has shown some merit. Uh, Oakland has a coordinator that has shown some merit. It's definitely going to be interesting. And how many more openings come open? I mean, are there for next year? Is Ty Bowles out in New York? We don't know. I mean, this guy had a good season last year. He had a, a, a huge stumble. We know because of quarterback play this year, but will the Jets give him the benefit of the doubt? Can San Francisco decide, okay, this was a, a chip mistake? Will they rid themselves of Chip Kelly after one year? 
So, I mean, uh, McCarthy and Green Bay, has his time run out? We don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is this year will be the telltale, right? I mean, you know, right now they're, you know, man on fire. I mean, it, it's going to be the thing is the face of the NFL. And as far as coaches, I mean, you got a lot of longstanding coaches, a lot of longstanding quarterbacks. Me personally, I don't know how, how, how worried some other people I'm worried about the quality of the NFL. Uh, and I and I believe that people who know what's coming up the pike and what's going on right now um, are worried, and you may see some ridiculously absurd um, rule changes to help support the poor quality of quarterbacks coming up the pike. People don't understand. I had a conversation with uh, – a, line, a so-called Lions fan who never liked Stafford said they can't win anything with Stafford, and it was saying, "Well, who should you get?" And his answer is was uh, Philip Rivers. What? And, well, he said he was looking in the short term, and I was like, "Still," I said, "Philip Rivers is is more." Uh, is is worst quarterback because of his inaccuracy. He has an arm, but his he doesn't have that finesse. He doesn't. He plays in that West Coast style, and that dink and dunk thing is not him. He likes to throw that deep ball and all those other things. But that's not the quarterback for here. The thing is, is that Philip Rivers is on the decline of his career. Matt Stafford is still mm-hmm. only twenty eight. Right. That's the thing that he has. He still has five to seven very good years. If he stays injury-free like he's been for the most part over the past six seasons, having not missed a game, that's five to seven very good seasons. It's it's unbelievable. And I think this is what it is with NFL fans and definitely Lions fans. They have grasses greener effect. They think, oh, my quarterback sucks, but this guy is so much greater and they only see stats, they only may see highlights, but there's nothing that I've seen of Philip Rivers since LaDainian Tomlinson retired years ago to tell me that he's a good enough of a quarterback to replace Stafford. This yeah. is a guy that you, if you're in New York, yes, with the Jets, if you're even in Chicago with Cutler and his issues, yes. But Stafford is on the verge or is deep-rooted in an MVP conversation right now. You're talking about replacing him with a quarterback on a losing team? Nah. <laughs> and and his biggest argument, which I've heard it all before and I don't buy, is you talking about a guy that is taking eight years to get this good. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, you look at the thing and we talk – I had the conversation the the um the uh about uh how uh, uh Megatron was a gift and the curse and the drops added to that and made him focus on Megatron cuz he knew Megatron wasn't going to drop the ball um and the offense got geared to him I mean you got an offense coordinator or a coach to so get Megatron the ball what you going to do you going to get Megatron the ball um and you have, I mean, you had ye of little faith 
and a lot of your other quarter, I mean, your other wide receivers, then that's what you're going to do. But now you're forced to do that. And this is the one thing that people always say about Stafford, that he doesn't make anybody better. Well, it appears that he's making, it appears that he's making his, uh, his wide receivers better this year, putting them in positions. He, it seems like he's making Ebron more efficient this year. Um, so the thing is that the time frame means absolutely nothing. I mean, nobody wants to look at the real aspect because it's the same old Lions all across the board. But you look at the aspect of Stafford came after the 016 season. Uh-huh. Took over. Right after that, he came into the Schwartz era. Or did he come in under Marinette? Marinette. Uh-huh. Oh, I nah, think it was nah. who was oh and sixteen Marinelli was right. Mm-hmm. And then Schwartz came right after that, so he basically came off of two first year first first time head coaches, two long time right. court that became first time head coaches. Came in with Caldwell after that time frame, got a coordinator that we thought was going to be the business. Looked like he was only there for the namesake only. And then now he's connected with an offensive coordinator that's aligned with him. And I think that Jim Bob Cooter and Stafford recognize the magic that they can have together, and they kind of focus on on making that better. So, you know, the, the time frame, yes, has he been the best quarterback? No. But is he trending upwards and becoming better? Yes. Truly he is. And I just really don't uh, think that people want to look at it in that way. They just look at it from the point of where it took him uh, this long to show who he was. So get rid of him. And they also look at And then replace him with who? Too. Oh, yeah. But they're looking at the price. I mean, but this too. is the thing. Mm-hmm. We've seen quarterbacks. I mean, didn't Rich Gannon? Take the Raiders to the Super Bowl. And how old was he? I mean, uh, Brad Johnson, Jeff Hostetler. There have been quarterbacks that were slow in their progression for whatever reason that eventually got it. And this isn't a matter of, oh, he didn't have the skill set, he didn't have the tools. There were there's variables that impacted the Lions' success that had nothing to do to him, to do with him. He doesn't play defense. He does, he's not a running back. He's not an offensive lineman. All three phases of, that I just mentioned struggled under him. The Lions have had 1,000-yard running back in his career. Um, the offensive line mm-hmm. uh, struggled. One or two years where they played good as a unit, the defense, that 2011 season, where they played, no, 2014 when they made the playoffs. They played very well, and they still didn't do what they were supposed to. Stafford against New Orleans in 2011 played well enough to win that game. The defense just couldn't hold water. So to say, and, and this is the unfortunate thing about quarterbacks, they get all the blame, but also they get all the praise. So it's like, okay, you can't, on one hand, base a quarterback's existence in life on playoff wins, Super Bowl championships, when he's not the 
the sole determinant of making it to that game. You have so many other factors that play into it. I mean, even those that who do win, go back to the Giants, two Super Bowl wins. Eli played good enough to win, but that defense won those games. Wide receivers made plays in that in those games. It wasn't like Eli just drove them down the field or Eli just had a, a, a great moment. And then, I mean, and I, I had a, a talk with a guy that I'm real cool with. I was like, for all the greatness that Aaron Rodgers is, supposedly one of the, the best quarterbacks in the NFL, athletically and statistically a lot, this dude has one Super Bowl appearance. Not, I could see, and he won it, yes, I give him credit, but for this guy to be so great, when you look at, compared to uh, Peyton, when you compare to Tom Brady, shoot, Eli, even uh, Russell Wilson has multiple Super Bowl appearances. Ben Roethlisberger, multiple Super Bowl appearances. This dude has one but he's the greatest. So it's just interesting how some quarterbacks get passes where other ones get the the punishment. Yeah, and that's the thing. You get, I mean, that, that Super Bowl was real early on in, in, in Rodgers' playing career, but he gets that pass. And in all honesty, I mean, you look at the packs, they've, they've been underwhelming in – in years past, especially when they seem to be loaded and they just couldn't pull that trigger just to get back to the Super Bowl. Now, granted, that's right. And Detroit would take that problem all day long, given where we are. But given where the Packers are and their history and where they where they're perceived to be, I would say they they I would have thought they would at least got the three Super Bowls. Uh huh. And you know they didn't. So the thing is, some people get that benefit of the doubt, some don't. I don't think it's anything they can do. I mean, he went to Super Bowl. So Super Bowl, they're still going. Somebody's still going to have an issue with it. Uh, why did it take him right. so long? Why Why did he wait so long to show that he that this is what he can? Oh, he only won one. Right. He we only won one. I do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's you know that's what, what people are going to choose because I mean you cannot be a fan and not be a hater. That's a hard thing for people to understand. Uh-huh. You don't have to be. You don't have to be both. You cannot be a fan and not be a hater. So it's it's it, it can be done. So there's no need to 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 do both. But that's your fan base. It is very much so. I mean, but it, it, it's definitely one of those things. On the flip side, you look at a team like the Cowboys down here, and they've struggled. I mean, up until this year. And the 2014 season, they've been that middle of the road team, but every year, I guess it's because they've developed. They they saw them out on top of multiple years, and they saw success, and they've tasted it. Every year is a Super Bowl year for the Cowboys, even when it's not. So, I mean, I think it's just the optimism that you see from certain fan bases is there. Tampa, I lived in Tampa for couple years. Listen to those Buck fans, you would have thought they had been to the Super Bowl a couple years away, how optim- optimistic they were about that franchise and how oh, they brought back uh, Lovey Smith. Oh, we, oh, we, we set now. We're going to the playoffs. We're doing this. We're going to do that. How long did he last? Uh, Greg Shiano. Oh, yeah. This is a guy. We, we can build off this. 
we we like Raheem uh, more, so but we're gonna take this. This guy's gonna take us to the next level. What did he do? But the Lions, they get a coach. It's like, oh man, he sucks. You get a a player, they suck. It's just it's that that slurp rock mentality. That's that Eeyore mentality. War is me, and I'm like, no. I'm like, and I guess sometimes I have to go above and beyond my optimism to counterbalance some of the bull crap I hear, because this is. This has been a great season for the Lions. Like I said, I mean, you hope for more, but even now, it's like, dude, y'all were predicting four wins. Some of the people on my Facebook timeline were predicting five and six wins. Oh, Stafford ain't crap. He ain't going to do nothing. They going to win. They ain't got Stafford. I mean, they ain't got uh, Calvin no more. Four wins, three wins. They may not win four. And now look at them. And they should have had, truthfully, they should be tied with Dallas for the best record, considering two games yeah. that they lost that they should have won. Yeah, and and the thing is, the sad thing about it is, um, you know, everybody's waiting for that other shoe to drop. You know, like you said, that Eeyore, woe is me. But, I mean, I predicted them 7-9. I think you predicted them either 8-8 eight and 9-7, eight and seven, right? Uh-huh. If I recall. You know, so the thing is, is that, you know, they surprised me, and a lot of people are, are still talking up what's going on and what they're doing as luck. And I'm like, right. when, you do as, when you do this as many times as they have, and in the ways that they have, and you hear that same echoing cry that, hey, this is what, this is what we prepare ourselves for, it's not luck. It, it's, it's being prepared. And taking advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. Now, if you're winning games on two or three last-second Hail Mary plays, that's luck. Because that, that's, that's the perfect scenario for a situation. But it's not like these Stafford is driving this team down the field and setting up the team for whether it's a field goal or whether it's a touchdown, and that's not easy. I mean, the – the Aaron Rodgers play last year in Detroit, that was luck. Because if you replay that scenario every week, the rest of the season, that may happen. That may not happen ever again. Right. But the fact that every seven consecutive times or how many times it happened, he drove them down the field for a comeback win, that's just part of his DNA. That's just part of the team's DNA now. It's the identity. Right. Now, would we like it to be more about the 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 New Orleans game where they were in control, or some of these other games? Of course, but it is what it is. This is going. This is what the Lions are going to be this year. You just hope that that grit prepares them for the playoffs. Right. So many people complaining about well, they played Chicago and they struggled and they ended up winning at the end, but but they won. And it's not always about how you win. It's the fact that at the end of the day that you do win um, and you do finish it off. Because we've seen it for so many years that they've been on the other side of it. Where they got the late game, mm-hmm. somebody else to go down and kick that game on the field goal. Or one, or score that touchdown. Or so many different things that we have seen uh, go against us that now are going for us. And nobody wants to be for us, you know. Um, but I mean, well, how many teams have won like this before? 
but because you're not their friend, you didn't pay attention to it. Like, okay, look at that, that Kansas City-Atlanta game earlier this year. Them winning that game on a return two-point conversion, you think Kansas City fans care that that's what took for them to get that win? No, they got the win. At the end of the game, at the end of the day, at the end of the season, that says W by that game for them. It, it's not. This isn't college football where you get style points for beating a team by 15, 20 points. This isn't high school where the point differential decides playoff seasons and all that stuff. No, you win the game. Your goal is to, to win the game. And if you win by 10, okay, if you win by one, it's the same amount. It's, it carries the same value. Yeah, it does. And, what, and, and I think that just fan base is not so accustomed to not winning that when everything is won, it's, it's, too, it's like being afraid of success. A lot of people don't understand that phenomenon of being afraid of success where you want to do well, but the closer you get to it, the more that you doubt that it's going to happen. So you start sabotaging yourself with your thought process and your actions, and the next thing you know, you're not a success because you you talk your way out of it. You thought it. And, you know, that's why it's hard, it's hard to listen to a radio because week by week, you know, you know, I'm going to be – I was I – was, Skeptic about the Lions, not because as they went, but it was because of the holes that they saw. I mean, you still see people saying that a 9-7 Lions team is a mediocre team. Right now, they're the number two seed in the NFC. Against the team, and, and, and at the end of the season right now, with them having the same number of wins right now, if they went out or end up one game above – Seattle, they will be a number four. I mean, a number two seed. And people aren't recognizing that. And the thing is, I just love the fact that that the team and the coach focusing one game at a time. That's the mantra. Mm-hmm. That's the mindset. And it goes through it. Now, am I uh, really interested and, and concerned about what a, uh, a staffer with a ligament damage and dislocated middle finger looks like. I am just based on how it was, but it looks like he got a specially designed glove made specifically for him to assist him with this situation. So I'm going to sit there and wait and watch. I don't think that, that the uh, Giants are that tough that we should be afraid of them because I've seen them play. Once again, yeah, oh, they beat the Cowboys. Yeah, that's a divisional game. <laughs> and they they have matchup nightmares. But people don't want to say nothing about this. Cowboys defense is not that good. Right. They're not that good. They rely on ball control. They rely on and on, on good running back play. And, and key plays by a quarterback. Is basically put in position to succeed. Um, but you know, but people don't want to look at it that way. Well, who did they win? They didn't beat anybody. You just got to beat the people that's on your schedule. 
At the end of the day, if New England never beat anybody above 500 who ended above 500 and won the Super Bowl, would any New England fan care? No. But that's what we were here. No. Oh, they, their path their path to the Super Bowl was soft. Oh, oh okay. Pick that boy off? Oh, that's a nice pick. No, he did. Oh. No, they said he was out of bounds. Throw that, throw that flag. Oh, he was in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was that flag. So that's a, that is a beast. I don't know if that ball moved that last time, but that was a nice interception. Sorry, folks. Once again, but we're talking about Seattle, who right now is the four seed. Um, um, struggling, all intents and purposes, against the Rams, the lowly Rams. But um. Mm-hmm. That's the NFL. So if we look at these last three weeks of the NFL, and you look at the NFC, um, you you have your your top four teams that could play a uh, a game of twister where they can go finish anywhere from one and four. Well, the Cowboys have clinched, but anywhere from two on down. To wild cards, depending on how these head-to-head matchup games go, these teams could finish anywhere between two and six, or out of the playoffs. When you look at the yeah. Lions, who have head-to-head with the Giants, so the winner of this game will have the tiebreaker of the wild card head-to-head with one with each other. The Lions against the Cowboys, depending on what the Cowboys do this week, that game could be for the number one seed. Yes, I know, Lions fans. You do not have to to stay in fear. That will be a fact. And if they <laughs> beat if they beat the Giants this week and the Cowboys lose, the Cowboys will have three losses. The Lions will have four, and that game will be for the number one seed. Yes, Lions fans. Do you also realize that if you win? And the Packers and or Minnesota loses, then guess where you are? You're in the playoffs. Minnesota Minnesota would be eliminated because they the tiebreaker they already lost. Uh-huh. So please look forward and not backwards. That's all I want you to say. Please look forward and not backwards. But the thing is, is that if these head-to-heads, I mean, you've got all these divisional games, especially in the NFC, which will play a major part in there. You have a team like, and that go to the AFC, you got a team like the Broncos who have a rough uh, tread into uh, these last uh, three games. They have New England. Uh, who else do they have? New England, Kansas City, and somebody else. But they're – they're on the on the, on the border, and it was not an interception, folks. It was a great play, but what stopped it from being an interception is the fact that the receiver's foot was out of bounds, and they both had their hands on the ball. Um, but I predicted them not to make the, the playoffs. You're seeing where that quarterback play and the running back play is playing a part of them not being as dominant in the defense, playing having to be on the field a little longer. Yes, they're still a good defense, but they're not as dominant. Um, because 
they, they, they're spending more time on the field. And quarterback play has been shaky, but that's a given with Simeon being the quarterback. Speaking of quarterbacks, and speaking of a playoff, already playoff team, Cowboys, out your way. The conversation has been talked about all season while he was injured. He's healthy, back on the roster, talking about Romo. Originally, he was getting his job back. Now, they say Dak is going to be there regardless. And now Jerry Jones is putting a little blood in the water. I don't know if he's trying to motivate Dak or trying to promote Tony. But can you uh, guesstimate why (laughs) the owner slash GM is putting out the and making these statements that are, in essence, pro-Romo. I mean, he's saying statements, well, if, if Dak plays uh, poorly, then Romo will be, you know, Romo will be, you know, in play. Why, why is he doing this? Is this to add more media, knowing he's just talking and he's not going to play? Or do you really think that, that he will make that call down there, which he has plenty of times from the press box? This dude has a hundred million reasons why he wants Romo to be that quarterback or have some say in winning the Super Bowl. They've invested in him. They still have some money to pay out. And, I mean, some people have said it. I don't think it completely is about this, but, I mean, you got skin color. You got the, the 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 white quarterback that got you to this point up until this year. Couldn't stay healthy. Now you had this young pup, black quarterback that's taking over. And I mean, some people take issue with that. Uh, I doubt he'll ever say it, but it wouldn't shock me if he behind closed doors. This is how he felt. I, I want my white boy to win, and. It's just one of those situations where he, I mean, the, the Wally Pip situation, you claim you can't lose your job over injuries, but when you're playing this well, oh, well, run your spot. And I think this is what's opening the door is doubt, and I think this is desperation, desperation for him because he realizes if they get to a point, whether it's the, the divisional playoffs and they lose with Dak, knowing how good this team is or how good this it's going to hurt him. It's going to eat at him and it's going to eat at the fan base because they realize how hard it is to get there. This is going to be a wasted season, so to speak, because you don't know if Dak can replicate this next year with this rookie magic? Is this who he's going to be? Is this just the aberration of, of, of right, right timing, right situation? So he has to – he knows how talented Tony Romo is. I mean, and truthfully, I've talked about this before. People want to discredit Romo for, oh, the turnovers and all this. Dude is top five all-time in quarterback race. 
Yes, he had he's had his moments in late late game situations, but he's not as bad as everybody claims him to be. And I guarantee everybody's looking at the situation. Oh, he couldn't have did this with this line, this Cowboy team. We don't know that he took a similar team that did not have a, a, as talented as of a defense twelve and four two years ago. What's to say if he? I mean, the only caveat he can't stay healthy. So I mean, it's just one of those. It's 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 sad. It's funny because you have people that are rooting for Dak but aren't Cowboy fans, so they they preface it that way. Like, oh, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I just want Dak Prescott to do well because of the situation and the circumstance. And I would it would be poetic justice for Jerry to get for Dak to struggle, whether it's against Detroit or Tampa Bay, they make that move and Romo struggles. Because then you can't you can't turn back that clock. Now you have fans you shouldn't have ever pulled the rookie out. Now you've killed his 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 confidence. Now you just got a team in shambles, shambles with both quarterbacks. So now where do you go from here? And that, I mean, it's kind of a catch twenty two for him. Um, uh, what to do and how to do it? To me, I don't know, man. I I, I just think that you play in a black quarterback role in today's NFL in this situation. I just think it's about winning and losing, and the fear of not of of having this team and knowing how it goes. I mean, Jerry has been trying to get back for how long to the Super Bowl, so he knows better than anybody in that organization yeah. how how hard it is. So he that he and he's the one who's going to say, "Hey, well, we're going to have to do this, or this is what's going to need to be done," and. Because he knows how hard it is to get there as an owner. Um, so a lot of people say, well, you know, he should be playing. He's a black quarterback. If it was a white quarterback, they wouldn't even consider doing that. Well, no, that's not true. Because you've never had a situation like that. But the thing is, uh-huh. playing with this team, this team offensively playing at this level, the one thing that Dak has that Romo doesn't is the legs. But he has the experience as well because Romo has, like you said, Romo has done a lot of things, but people tend to focus on the negative because he hasn't been able to get him there. Um, that's, just, that's just how fans are. But the thing is, is that Romo, a healthy Romo, let me preface it with that, a healthy Romo, um, I take him over 80% of the league quarterback any day. Um, but, you know, I don't think Dak being black plays a part of the consideration of him coming out if he's playing bad. Clinch the number one spot. Hell, I'm starting Romo. Because I want to see what Romo yeah, is True. I want to see what and he has. I guess the only yeah. fear, the only fear with that is Depending on when it happens, if it's still regular season, if it's still week uh, 16 or 17 is, you play Romo, you, you bench some of your starters, then you have a bye week, then you go into the divisional game against a team that's coming off a, a week or probably been playing for his playoff life for the past 
three or four weeks, if not longer, you got rushed. So I think that's the biggest fear that a lot of coaches look at, like, okay, yeah, we want to see what Romo has. Yeah, we want to kind of not run Ezekiel into the ground. We kind of want to see what the defense can have. We can develop some depth right quick as far as so if injuries do pop up, we're good. But that at, at the risk of your own, at the risk of your starters, is it worth it? May not be worth it, but when you look at their schedules, the game, their last game is against the Eagles, who have no chance to do anything unless it's a chance. Right. If 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 the Cowboys lose the next two games, it's a chance of knocking them out of the number one spot. So that's a game that you don't. I mean, how many Eagles players or fans? How many Eagles players will be targeted and going after that, trying to hurt that guy, given it's a divisional game? I mean, football players don't let – me, let me take it back. Not hurt them, but hit them hard and hit them extra hard. It's the last game of the season. It's been a frustrating year. Let me go ahead and hit this rookie and let them know what's coming next year. That 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 situation, you put, you put him in a – in, in a in a tough situation as a quarterback, but you want you want that game not to count as a Cowboys fan. I'm a firm believer. Yeah. You know you make the rush. I mean, I mean you. I mean you got the best young back in the league, a top five back automatically already in Ezekiel Elliott. Who that rush ain't gonna bother because that dude is just like an energizer bunny on steroids. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the thing is, is that the rush that you have is the continuity. I mean, it's just like having a bye week in the regular season. So you, if you treat it the same way, I think you got a veteran enough coaching staff to be able to do that. And because you need to see what Tony has, because you don't want Tony to have no game NFL game experience this year and possibly have to come in for an injury or whatever, or, Something happened, uh, you know, uh, a, a minor, I'm talking about a minor injury, having to come in the game and have to only get the ball off. Because his time is going to be off with those guys. Now, it just depends. Like I said, it depends on how things play itself off. The game against the Bucks is a tough game. Definitely tough game. Sunday night game. Uh, it's a tough game. And I think uh, even though it's at home, that Bucks defense is tough, and mm-hmm. they're, fighting for, they're fighting for their playoff lives. Real close, real under the radar. People not even really paying attention to the Bucks unless you live in Tampa. If you look at those standings; those cats are right there, right at the cusp of, of that of that Mason Dixon, what we call the the wild card. And this game right here, which if they win that game, Tampa Bay wins the game. That kind of flips the, the script and makes. Week 16 game, Lions versus Lions versus uh, Cowboys. Even if the Lions lose this week, still the marquee game. Mm-hmm. Monday Night Football. The Cowboys still have to win that game. So they would much rather win this week, which will clinch their number one spot for all intents and purposes. They still have to win against the Lions head to head. 
So there's no really break, no taking phase off. Like you said, it may work out in their favor that they have to play all the way through. Because, I mean, they're going to get a bye week regardless. I mean, do you really? I mean, granted, yes, they want the number one seed. But to me, playing in Dallas and playing in Detroit, if it's in the NFC Championship game, pretty much the same thing. But they definitely want to be the number one seed if Seattle is up there close to number two. But it looks like Seattle with this win is going to go a half game up on the Lions and jump back into that number two spot. They definitely want to have that home court advantage. And playing against the Legion of Boom, you, I don't know if anybody's paying attention to the game right now. But this pressure that, that, that their defense is putting, they're just pinning their ears back and just going. And that's what you want to see from a defense from a defense, but not from an offense with the, with these guys. Because you put a lot of unnecessary pressure because that blocking, especially on passing plays, uh, is going to be roots. Because they'll sit, they'll sit 11. I, I'm, I'm convinced they will. <laughs> Just to see how they hmm. react. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things play out. But one team that's – well, technically both of them are still in the playoff hunt holding on by a thread. But the game that got just just got a little bit more interesting is the week sixteen matchup between Minnesota and Green Bay. Um I'm not sure if you heard the reports but AP Adrian Peterson aka the Bionic Man is expected to play in that game after having a torn meniscus where he missed most of this season. I do what is he doing? And he I, I know he has a he has to have a career in physical training or being a, uh, a a trainer once he leaves the NFL because the way he's been able to bounce back after some of these injuries are non-human. And it's like if he – they say it's still uncertain if he's going to play against Indianapolis this week, but if he plays against Green Bay, that actually makes that game a lot more competitive because Minnesota has been struggling struggling to run the ball. And now you have a guy that takes the pressure off of Sam Bradford, brings an added dimension, and now Green Bay, whose defense really hasn't been as consistent as you expect with all that talent, now they have to worry about stopping AP. And can they? A healthy AP, a rested AP, you can get this guy 25, 30 carries if he's ready right. to go. And and that could be disastrous because chalk up, Green Bay is this, Green Bay is that. They still struggle on deep. I mean, uh, Seattle struggles on offense. And those picks. Be right. That stuff, I mean, they, they still struggle on deep. And offensively, if, I mean, anybody, if you give Aaron Rodgers time, he's going to go ahead and, and carve you up. And the quick pass is what kills it. That, that kills, that, that nullifies that aggressiveness from the Legion of Boom. Is those quick passes. So, I mean, it's going to get real interesting. I, I mean, I circled that, that matchup when I saw that the AP was coming back. I circled that matchup and said, this is going to be the game that they lose with changes at all. I mean, I, I mean, you can say whatever you want. I'm not worried about Green Bay. I'm not worried about Green Bay because at the end of the day, in order for the Lions to get in the playoffs, they still going to have to win at least one game. I said it before out of the last four they need to win two games. They win two games, they'd be in the playoffs with ten wins. They're gonna be in the playoffs. 
may not be division. Everybody wants everything. In it. I'm wanting to win the division. I'm wanting, I'm wanting to get in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs, things can happen. But hey, I want to. I, I want to get a home game. I'm tired of saying I was at the last Lions home win back in '92. I'm tired of saying that. I want somebody else to be able to say I was at the one in 2000 something. So the thing is. It's going to be some good football over the holiday season. We got this weekend, Christmas, and then the last week of the season, New Year's. A lot of things will happen. It'll shake itself out. But I'm predicting Lions are going into playoffs. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm a <laughs> Lions fan. But seeing what they have, what they can do, and who they have, they're playing against, they match up well. They match up well. Um, so, with that, we got a couple predictions. We got some bold predictions. But speaking of bowls, hot off the presses, new, the word on the street is if, if, if Minnesota boycotts Northern Illinois, we'll replace them. In the Holiday Bowl. Huh. Now, they said that a couple of things, like um, Northern Illinois' commencement was last week, so some of the student athletes are off camp and have already left campus. Also, about the number of practices they need to prepare for uh, Washington State. But they're looking to get this agreement together within the next 48 hours. Northern Illinois is a five and seventeen, but they had the next highest RPI. I mean I, APR, sorry. So it's interesting to see uh, how this is going to play itself out. If they will, um, if Minnesota will boycott, but that was just an interesting bit. But I want to see the bowls, and let's do this prediction. For the bowls that will happen between this, I mean, between tomorrow and our next show. So we'll start. We're going to do all the bowls. No feedback. Just give me your gut prediction. You ready, Q? Yes, sir. All right. So this is bowl. I'm definitely going to watch this because I love to see black colleges on display. Uh, the Arm, the, sorry, the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, North Carolina Central and Grambling. Got to go with me, Ante, North Carolina Ante. No, North Carolina Central. Oh what? Oh, I thought it was Ante. Oh well, uh, that's the case. I'm going with Grambling. Um, I think I'm gonna go with you, even though North Carolina Ante is, I mean, excuse me, Central has had a good team last couple of years. Uh, the New Mexico Bowl. New Mexico, New Mexico, New Mexico versus UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. I'm going with the home team. Same here. All right, the Las Vegas Bowl. Houston, sadly, we got to see Houston this early. This is on the 17th, folks, so this is Saturday. All these games are Saturday. Houston versus San Diego State, who has the top rusher in the country. Hmm, that's gonna be that's a good game. Um, 
Houston has too much talent. I'm going with the Cougars. So am I. I think Houston is going to put up like a 50 spot. Because they mad. The Raycom, Camellia, Bo, Camella Bo, App State versus Toledo. <laughs> I'm going with Toledo. I thought I'm put up 50 points against BYU. Holy Toledo. That offense is amazing in Toledo. They got it. Here we go. Auto Cure, the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, UCF versus Arkansas State. Go Knights. Got to be a, a quasi-homer for the wife. Right. I'm going to go against the, the, low, the low family, and I'm going to go with Arkansas State in that game. Um, even though that's basically a home game for UCF in Orlando. Uh-huh. And the New Orleans Bowl, Southern Miss against Louisiana Lafayette. Um, I'm going with the, the home state team, Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, that, that, they, they've had a great program over the years. I, just, I don't think I've seen them play in Southern Miss. It's just kind of a dud to me. All right, Miami Beach Bowl, Central Michigan versus Tulsa. Uh, Tulsa has too much firepower. So I'm going to go with the Golden Knights. I mean, Golden, Golden Hurricane. I'm going with the Chips. Going with the Chips. Uh, Boca Raton Bowl. Memphis versus Western Kentucky. Um, Memphis. Western Kentucky has a new coach, so I'm going to go with the uh, Tigers. Oh, yeah, they do have a new coach. Ah, but I think they're going to play inspired. Western Kentucky. All right, on the 21st, San Diego Credit uh, County Credit Union, Poncetta Bowl, BYU versus Wyoming. I'm going to go with Wyoming. I'm going with BYU. They do. Uh, the Idaho Potato Bowl, Idaho versus Colorado State. I'm going with the Rams, Colorado State. Okay, I'm going with the home team. Uh, the Bahamas Bowl, Eastern Michigan University versus Old Dominion. I don't even have to catch yours. If you vote against them, you're going to be kicked out of the Alumni Association. Right. <laughs> so, I'm going to go along with you. He's had a good season. Go ahead and finish. ODU, knock them out in the Bahamas. Just not as exciting as Central Michigan was last year. Um, the Armed Forces Bowl, Louisiana Tech versus a fake number 25 uh, Navy who can't be less than 25 even though they lost as number 25 to Army. I'm going to go with Navy. The midshipmen should be really mad how they played their last two games. They had an opportunity to make it to one of the New Year's Six Bowls, and they're playing in the Armed Force Bowl. But they're going to win. The Dollar General Bowl, which this, this matchup sounds like it's a Dollar General Bowl, Ohio versus Troy. I'm going to go with the Mac. I'm going with Ohio. I concur. I saw Ohio play play Western real tough. 
definitely the number two team in the MAC. I'm going with them, and I think that puts us. Oh, uh, well, that put us next Friday, so we'll go all the way through to then after that. So, where you we're gonna do this prediction for this for this for this for the Lions game? This is really a marquee game, really a game that can kind of determine what the rest of the season is going to look like going forward. Will the Lions beat the Giants? It's going to be tough, but it all boils down to Matt Stafford's middle finger. Um, If he can get acclimated to that brace that he's wearing, I think he'll be fine. If this was a home game, I wouldn't be as worried. With the element of maybe the cold weather and the wind may play wreck havoc, but if if uh, Theo Riddick is back, that helps with the short passing game, and that'll allow him to have a safety valve that he doesn't necessarily have to go downfield as much as he did against Chicago. So, but with that said, I'm a I'm gonna go with my line. I'm gonna go with the home. So I'm gonna be a homer this time. Uh, conventional wisdom says the Giants, but I think the Lions pull this one off. Uh, I think the Giants will go up a little early and do one that put the Lions in what seems to be their favorite position from behind, and uh, they're going to knock it out the box. And when they at, at the end, uh, I think second half, uh, Stafford is going to be fully adjusted to his uh, – his glove or his gloveless, glo- fingerless gloves. It sounds like he, he has, like the middle finger is the only one that's in or something. But um, mm-hmm. I'm going with the Lions, man. I, I just, I, I mean, the, the G-Man have won how many in a row? Six or seven? Um, yeah. I just don't, I'm not confident with them. Like, you know, I just haven't seen them dominate. I've seen them play a couple of times. But, I think it's going to be a really close matchup. I think this is going to be the beginning of a three-week span for the Lions uh, that's going to be playoff football. And if they make the playoffs with with a bye or not, they're going to be battle-tested. And that's the one thing people are not paying attention to. Uh, this, If they can get two out of these last three playing how they're playing, they're going to be battle-tested. They, they would have already played playoff games. Right. In there. Uh, regardless of where Green Bay is or what they're doing, that's still going to be a playoff game because it's a division game. Green Bay can affect the Lions without affecting themselves as well if they're not making it to the playoffs. So, I got the Lions over the G-Man. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be good. Folks, keep warm. It's negative degrees in the D right now. Uh, It's supposed to drop to the 20s here on Sunday. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. And we got a storm going there. So stay safe. Stay safe. And uh, watch some good football this weekend. Saturday night game this week, folks. Getting to the end of the season. I would prefer always a Saturday night game versus Thursday, but they can't. They don't want to compete with college football. But uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Uh, yes, sir. Great matchups. Great matchups. Great show. Check us out. The podcast. And uh, we'll be back next week. Peace.